Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. Good morning, Hope Elam. My name's John, and I am 40 years old, and I love baseball, and I love my family, and I'm not going to be a farmer, but I love that movie. I don't know if there's any Field of Dreams fans out there. Now, give a little woo-woo. Yeah, there you go. Some of you, some of you love that movie, and some of you are like, yay, baseball, yay sports, and some of you don't have a taste for that at all, and that's totally fine, because that's not the reason that I showed it to you. The reason I showed it to you is so that we can play some catch and stay awake during this. No, I'm not going to do that. That movie's so much deeper than baseball. It's, I know you want, so much deeper than sports. You know what that movie's about? It's what we just sang about. It's about our longing for heaven. Not, not an eternal church service in the sky. It's, it's our longing for things to be the way that they were meant to be. It's our longing to see the world the way that God truly designed it. It's our longing for heaven. It's, it's our longing for meaning and for purpose. That movie is so much deeper. There's a story behind the story. There's a deeper truth. Yeah, it's about baseball. You can go to Dyersville, right? You can go. They're building an entire complex there. But the reason that movie has stood the test of time and has become sort of a cultural icon, at least in Iowa and around the country and around the world, is because it speaks to us on the level of the soul. If it was about sports, if it was about baseball, it would just have been forgotten a long time ago. But it grips us, it reaches a deeper place in our lives because there is a deeper truth. I'm going to ask you this morning, how's your vision today? Do you see the world the way that God sees it? How's your sight today? How's your vision? I'm not talking about have you been to the eye doctor recently. I'm not talking about do you have 20-20 vision or glasses or contacts. I'm talking about can you see life the way that it was meant to be? Is it everything that you've ever wanted and more? Because the story behind the story of Field of Dreams is that Ray Kinsella is this middle-aged man that thinks, well, I'm just going to go through the motions of life. And I think you're supposed to go to college, and I think you're supposed to get married, and I guess we had this kid, and now I'm going to be a farmer, and I'm just kind of making ends meet, and I'm going through the motions. Is this all there is to life? Or is there something more? Have you ever felt that in the core of your being? Like, there's got to be something more than what I'm seeing. Because if we're not careful, if we don't seek out truth and wisdom, you and I will go throughout our lives with our blinders on. And we will think just, well, what I've experienced so far is everything there is to experience. What I've experienced of God is everything there is. Can you see clearly? Every single one of us longs to live for what truly matters. Just like Ray Kinsella, just like the story we're going to look at today. How do you see clearly? 
That's what we're going to find out today. If you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 9. John chapter 9 is where we're going to be today. If you've got your Bible or your Bible app, would encourage you to open up. We are reading through the Bible this year as a church, and we are in a new series called John's Reasons to Believe. John's Reasons to Believe. We're spending three weeks on the Gospel of John, which is like that much. There is so much more there. So I would encourage you to be reading along with our Bible reading plan. There's information out in the lobby about that. We're going through the whole Bible. And we're reading through the Gospel of John. And maybe what you've seen as you've been reading through it is that John, just like a lot of the other Gospel writers, has one purpose. To communicate to us, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that Jesus is who he says he is. That Jesus is the one. That Jesus is the Messiah. And a unique way that John does that is that he will use objects, or as as illustrations. He'll use people or circumstances to point to the story behind the story, just like Field of Dreams. There's a story behind the story. If you've been reading along, you'll notice this. Back in John chapter 4, you remember the story, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at the well. Is that story about a woman who has a bucket and is thirsty? No, no, no. There's a story behind the story. Jesus declares to her, I am the living water. It points to who Jesus is. A couple chapters later in John chapter 6, remember the miracle, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Is the point of that story a bunch of people got free lunch? There's a story behind the story. Jesus shortly after declares, I am the bread of life. You think that that meal was satisfying. I'm the bread of life. Next chapter, John chapter 7, the Jews are celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles and they remember and they commemorate when Jesus, when God led them by a pillar of fire as they were wandering through the desert as God's people. And Jesus, as they're celebrating the pillar of fire, Jesus stands up in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles and says, I am the light of the world. There is a story behind the story and the same is true in the scripture that we're going to read today. So now with that lens... Let's look at John chapter 9. John chapter 9. We read this, starting in verse 1. As he went along, meaning Jesus, he saw a man born blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, is that a little bit of an odd question to ask? When's the (laughs) last... If you haven't read the Bible recently and laughed out loud, you may not be reading the Bible correctly, okay? Loosen up and have a little bit of humor, okay? This should strike you as a little bit odd if you don't know the backstory, okay? So they encounter this blind man, and we, geez, guys, have some compassion, right? All right, who sinned? Who does that? If I'm Jesus, I'm flunking these guys in Care 101 or whatever. You know, like, have some sympathy, When's the last time that you walked into a hospital room where somebody was on their deathbed and said, all right, who sinned? Whose fault is it? We don't do that. But before we jump all over the disciples, this is a, actually a pretty decent question. They're asking an honest question. There was some Jewish teaching at the time that was loosely based, and I say loosely based on some Old Testament teaching that believed and some rabbis taught that if somebody had a disease or a defect to their body in some way, that it was caused by their sin or the parent's sin. Now, don't hear me wrong. The sins of our forefathers, of our ancestors, can be passed down. There is something called generational sin. But Jesus is quick to clarify this narrative. This is not that. 
Jesus is clarifying the narrative. What do we, narratives? There are narratives, there are meta-narratives, which means a grand story. There are guiding stories that we live into and believe. So a narrative is a story that we believe in order to make sense of life. And you may not realize this, but we do it all the time. We do it multiple times a day. When we don't understand something in life, we make up a story cognitively to help make sense of life. It's how our brains are wired up. God designed you that way. The question is, what story are you believing? And that's what the disciples are believing, because if there's true stories, then there can also be incorrect stories or false narratives as a way of seeing the world not like the way that God sees it. So Jesus is quick to correct the false narrative and look at verse 3. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus speaks right into the false narrative and he declares, this is not about God's wrath and anger. This is about God's ability to bring restoration and healing. I want you to see the world the way that I see it, Jesus says. I want to correct your thinking. Jesus even says later on, a few chapters in the same Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you would have peace. In this world, you will have perfect days with rainbows and puppies and everything's going to go perfect for you. That's not what it says. In this world, you will have what? Trouble. Trouble. I always get a little worried when people look at Christians or they, they look from the outside in or they become a brand new Christian. You're like, now, now my life is going to get so much easier because I'm a Christian. And I would love that. But if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, sometimes you know life doesn't get easier. Life, get, life gets harder. Amen? Life gets more challenging, right? Following Jesus doesn't make life easier. Following Jesus makes life worth living. And there's a big difference between those two. We part, when you're following Jesus, sometimes life should get harder because you're following him. Now you got a target on your back and you're participating in the sufferings of Jesus. Paul glories in that. He said, I get to be like Jesus in that. It might mean not that you're doing something wrong. It might mean you do something right. That you're following Jesus. Jesus says, you may not understand to his disciples why things happen the way they do in this world. But it is not your job, all of us, to go around making up answers for things that there are no answers for this side of heaven. That is not your job. There are things that we don't know, but what do we know is that God didn't willfully cause this man's blindness, but he is going to use his condition to show his glory. This man's story is not done being written, and yours isn't either. Amen? What story are you believing? What story are you living into? Because here's the real story. Jesus continues in verse 4. As long as it is a day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming, and no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Notice the timing of when Jesus says things in the Gospels. I want you to focus on, as you're reading, focus on what Jesus says, but focus on when he says it. Jesus just healed this man from blindness, and he stands up and says, I am the light 
of the world. Yes, Jesus is doing a physical healing and he's changing this man's story forever. But Jesus is also declaring who he is. He's revealing a part of his identity that I am the light of the world and I am not here to just help one man see. I am here to show you the light. Can you see the light? Jesus says, I am here today, right now here today on April 23rd, 2023, to help you see clearly. I want you to see the way that I see, Jesus says. I'm the light of the world. Are you living for what matters? Can you see clearly? Or are you blind? Do you have your blinders on? (laughs) The bread was more than bread. The well was more than water. The healing was more than just the disease. Because here's the thing, all of us can become blind. There's a lot of different ways of becoming blind, and you can have 20-20 vision in a worldly sense and be spiritually blind. Enter the Pharisees. Later on in the story, we read this in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now he's healed. Now it was on a day in which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes. It was a Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, meaning Jesus, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. Now we got another reason that Jesus does this miracle. Number one, to heal a man that was born blind, a physical healing. Number two, to reveal Jesus' nature, to reveal his identity, that he's the light of the world. But number three, what if the blind man isn't the only one that's blind in this story? What if it was to reveal the blindness of the Pharisees? It is not a coincidence that this gospel is written the way that it is. Jesus comes right out and says it in verse 39 at the end of this story. Jesus says, I entered the world to render judgment challenge to give sight to the blind, did that, and to show those who think that they, they see that they are blind. Jesus' harshest criticism as you read through the Gospels is not for the poor or the crippled or the lame or the outcasts or the dirty, rotten sinners or the people that we love to point the fingers at, you know, those people. Jesus' harshest criticism is for the people that have been presented with the truth and don't believe it because they're clinging so hard to their truth. That they have a worldview and they refuse to change. Oh, it's too bad this isn't relevant for our world today at all, but it's not really, right? (laughs) Sometimes we let other things disciple us. Sometimes we let other things and people and situations form us. What story do you believe? Sometimes we are more discipled by cable news and Instagram than we are by Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, Pastor John, but I come to church every week. What consumes you? What gets your affection? What gets your attention? Where do you spend the most time? What are the stories that you are letting wash over you again and again and again? There is more than one way to be blind. We can put the old blinders up. Any of us can become blind. 
Margaret Hefferman is an entrepreneur, and she's been the CEO of five, started and been the CEO of five different companies, and she is a professor in the UK, and she's written a lot of books, and I came across her latest one, came out several years ago, and the title of her book is this, Willful Blindness. Just going to sit on that for a second. Willful Blindness. Go ahead and go to the next slide. She describes it this way. Choosing to remain unseeing in situations where we could know and should know, but don't know because it makes us feel better not to know. Jesus, I know what you say about marriage. I know what you say about dating, that you're interested in my relational life, that you're interested in my finances, that you're interested in every aspect of my life, but I got my way of doing things. I'll get around to it. When life slows down or when I finish kind of doing life my way, I know there's a truth, but I'm going to live by my truth and do it my way. But here's the thing. Remaining blind to something doesn't stop it from being true. The way that I see happiness, the way that I see relationships, the way that I want to spend my money, the way that I see what significance in this world is, issues of politics and and justice and race and equality, all these things, just because I don't want to know the truth doesn't change the truth. What's there doesn't change the truth that Jesus is presenting for us. It would be awesome if that was, if that was the case in real life. That giant pile of laundry that's at the Anderson house right now, I could just walk by it and pretend it's not real and it would just disappear. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just because you're blind to it doesn't stop it from being true. I wonder when it comes to what you believe, when's the last time you asked Jesus, the one who says, I am the light of the world. Who's discipling you? Who's forming you? We can remain blind to the most important things in life that are right in front of us. And as the movie Field of Dreams continues, uh, Ray takes his cornfield, and you know the story. He builds a baseball field, and it's there today. There's multiple fields there now. And he built this, and you might think, that's crazy. Unless you can see the truth. Because these players, they start coming out of the cornfield. And they're there. And they're real. And everybody can see them except Uncle Mark. Something about having childlike faith. Childlike eyes to see the truth. And he can't see it. Watch what happens when we let willful blindness get in the way of seeing. Take a look. Nothing. Who will come? All right, all right, this is fascinating, it is. But the fact remains is that you don't have the money to bring the mortgage up to date, so you're still going to have to sell. I'm sorry, Ray. We got no choice. Ray, people will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door, as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have, and peace they like. Ray, just sign the papers. 
and they'll walk out to the bleachers. Sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines. Where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game. And it'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick that I'll have to brush them away from their faces. Ray, when the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come, Ray. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. Oh. People will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. Ray, you will lose everything. You will be evicted. is really old. You should know the end of the story by now. For some of you, that's you today, and you're standing there. And it's not Ray, the name that's being called out. God is whispering your name. Are you going to see things the way that I see them? I want to show you what life is all about. Don't miss the most important thing that's right in front of you. That's what this character, Terrence Mann, played by James Earl Jones, trying to get Ray to see. And by the way, one of my goals in life now is to have James Earl Jones narrate my life. I'm just going to have him follow me around everywhere. Are you going to see things the way that they truly are? Jesus says, don't miss the most important, don't miss the miracle that's right in front of you today. You are surrounded by a church that loves you. And most importantly, by a God who loves you, who lived and died and rose again and can heal you and has a plan and a purpose for your life. Don't miss what's right in front of you. Don't miss the most important thing. So Ray's got a choice and we've got a choice. You've got a choice. It's right in front of you today. Receive it. Let it all the way in. Don't cave. Don't cave to the other voices that are around you saying, do this or do that, or look at the world this way. You know what's true. Follow the truth. Follow the light of the world. What story are you believing? We can be like the Pharisees and just have willful blindness and choose not to see, but the other characters in this story are the disciples. They're the ones with the false narratives. And if we're not careful, you and I will have lots of false narratives in our lives as well. Sometimes they're the stories that we make up and sometimes they're the stories that have been spoken over us. And it goes a little something like this. We receive a message, we believe something, a lie comes into our head and then it goes to our heart and it gets lived out in our life and we just think that's who I am when it's actually you're being led by a different script. You're being led by a different voice. 
And what we do is that when these lies come in to our head and to our heart, what we do is we make spiritual agreements with them. And we say, yeah, you know what? Things will never get better. They'll always be this way. I'm going to be stuck in this chapter in my story forever. And we make an agreement. A false narrative, I'll never be a good enough husband, wife, spouse, parent, child, employee, Christian. I'll never be enough. You know, when I was young, my parents got divorced, and so now I got to hold it all together, and I'm responsible for keeping my family together. I got to be the strong one. I got to keep it all together and be the strong one in my family because it's all on me. And some of you have been living that story your entire life. I'll never truly heal from what happened to me. This, that thing that happened to you back in college has defined multiple chapters of your story. And we just start believing, these. maybe it's like the disciples, God's out to punish me because I did something wrong. God's out to punish them. I'm all alone. Nobody really cares. And you might think, no, 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 John, I don't believe those things. I know you don't believe them. But you're living as if they're true. And if we're not careful, what we'll do is that one of those became the heading to a chapter. We all start out with a blank book, with blank pages, hoping it's going to be a great fairy tale, a great story. And some of those chapter headings got defined by one of these lies from the pit of hell. And multiple chapters and almost your entire story has been defined by a false narrative. And the invitation today from the God that loves you, he says, give me a pen, give me your story. And God says, let me write your story from here on out. Amen? Let me flip the script. Let me give you a new narrative. I don't know how many pages you got left in your story, but if there's pages left, God's not done with you yet. Let him flip the script. Let him write a new story. And, and, and what happens is what we start to do is we start to see some of these false narratives. God gives us a way to be formed by the gospel. We don't have to live into those false narratives, so how do we live in a brand new way? Number one, we remember God's promises. And number two, we rethink how we approach life. We remember God's promises and we rethink how we approach life. Two tools to give you today, two application pieces. Number one, we remember God's promises. What happens when the story that you've been telling yourself gets held up to God's story? and they don't agree. What gives? Are you going to live into the story that you've been telling yourself or somebody's been telling you since childhood, or are you going to believe what God says about you is true? What gives? And you start to do that, and you start to realize they're, they're inconsistent with each other, but what happens is instead of being formed by those narratives that we've made up or that have been spoken over us, we're formed by the gospel, and this beautiful thing starts to happen. Go ahead and go to the next slide. What happens is this. My story says, I've been believing, things are never going to get better. They'll always be this way. God's story says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. A plan for hope and a future. That's what's true being presented to you. Our story says, I'll never be a good enough. Fill in the blank. And God's story says, his grace is sufficient for me. I don't have to be strong. I don't have to be good enough. His power is made perfect in my weakness. I can stop performing because Jesus has already done the performing for me. Amen? I don't have to live into that story anymore. And the truths continue. My story says, I've got to be the strong one and keep my family together. God's story says, do not fear, I am with you. I am your God. I will uphold you. 
Some of you are here this morning, you think, I, I, I've let God down. And God says to you, you never holding me up. I'm holding you up by my righteous right hand. You don't have to be the strong one anymore. Flip the script. Flip the script. My story says I'm all alone. I know you don't actually believe that, but you're living like that. God gave up on me. God's disinterested in me. God doesn't care because of everything I've been going through. God's story says the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Flip the script. You are not defined by the previous chapters in your story. You are not defined by your mistakes or your failures or what happened to you. You are defined by what God says about you. Amen? Amen. Flip the script. Believe God's promises. Because what happens is we believe it in here, it goes to here, and it comes out in our life. Remember God's promises, and secondly, rethink how you approach life. This is something that we do every single day, and it's just a quick switch that could be a huge change for you. There are two ways to live life. One is constantly saying, why God? And one is constantly saying, what God? Everybody take your hands like this. This is the uh, audience participation part of the sermon right here. Take your hands and clench those fists as tightly as you can. Like, I mean real tight. A lot of us have spent a lot of our lives with our fists clenched towards God saying, why this? Why that? Why the divorce? Why did the relationship go south? Why did I get fired? Why this job? Why this family? Why these circumstances? And we're yelling at God and we're angry. Why, why, why? Just clench them as tight as you can. Okay, hold them there for the rest of the sermon, okay? I promise, it'll be, I'm just, no, I mean really tight. What an exhausting way to live. Okay, really tight. Okay, now slowly let them go. Ah, I feel so much better. Instead, God is inviting you to live your life every single moment of every single day saying, what God? What are you doing? What's the story behind the story? What are you trying to show me? And I'm not saying there's not a time to call out why God and question doubt and, 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 and doubt God. Have you read the book of Psalms? I mean, David is letting God have it, right? My challenge for you is when does your why God shift into a what God? Because if it never shifts, you're going to miss out on the restoration and the redemption that God wants to do in your story. Amen? Open up your hands. Open up your hands because you know what you can't do when your fists are clenched, you can't receive. But when you open up your hands and say, God, I'm surrendered to you, and I'm going to enter into every single day saying, I don't know what there is coming my way, but I want everything that you have for me. And all of a sudden, every day is not an obstacle to survive. Every day is an opportunity to be formed. Every moment of every day becomes an opportunity to be formed, not by the false narratives that you've been believing your entire life, but to be formed by the gospel, to be formed by what's true, to be gospel formed, to be story formed by God. He has so much more for you. Rethink how you approach life. This is what, <laughs> this is what Jesus did with the disciples with the blind man. They were all saying, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why, why, why? Jesus shifts their perspective to what? So that the glory of God would be revealed in his life. Thank God that we shifted to what? Because this blind man becomes the greatest evangelist in his town they'd ever known. And people start asking him, and I love what he says, all I know is that I was blind and now I see. And some of you are freaking out about having a testimony. You're like, oh, all these people at church, they got all these 
you know, five-page testimonies, and they're professional public speakers with their testimony. You know what your testimony is? I was blind, and now I see. You know what your testimony is? This is who I was, this is what Jesus did, and this is who I am now. That's it. You've got a story, and your story might be the difference in somebody's life. Share it. Sometimes simple is the best. All I know is that I was blind, and now I see, and I believe the blind man says. This is not just a Bible story. This is coming to life. A few weeks ago on Easter, we had this bridge up here. Many of you were here for Easter, and people crossed from death to life, and we just continued to be blown away by the stories, by the testimonies of what God did on that day and continues to do in this church. Marriages being restored, addictions being broken, depression, suicidal thoughts turning to hope, relationships coming back together, hope and purpose in people's jobs over and over and over again. (laughs) And we'll miss all of that. We'll miss all of that if we stay in the why God and we never move to the what God. What is God doing in your story? The what behind the why. And I will tell you this, every single one of you has a story and I don't know why it went the way that it did. I don't know why that thing happened to you. I don't know why, but I will tell you what. You want to know what? God's not done with you yet, and he will not waste it. Amen? He will not waste your pain. What story are you believing? Thank God that Ray Kinsella in this story, Kevin Costner's character, understood, oh, maybe it's not about a baseball field. Maybe it's about that one player that comes in the very final scene of the movie. Maybe the way that I've been seeing life is blurry, unclear, because I don't know what life is all about, and I've made life about all these other things. Maybe the story of the movie and the story of your life is about a restored relationship with your father. Take a look. Is there a heaven? Oh, yeah. Does God love you more than you could ever imagine? Oh, yeah. And he's here today to remind you of what life is really all about. Not your house or your car or your bank account or your title or your position or your status or your popularity or what has happened to you. It is about the people that are sitting around you right now the people in your family, your church family, and most importantly, the relationship that you have with the God who created you. And he looks at you today and says, I would love to have a catch with you. And it's not about baseball. It's about being connected with the God that knows you better than anybody else, your heavenly father. It's not about baseball. It's about you. And some of you came here today going, oh, I'm going to come to a cute little worship service. And God says, I want your heart. I want you, and I want to help you see life clearly. The most important thing is right in front of you. A God who loves you. Let his love all the way in, and he will help you move from blindness to sight. Hope Elam, it's going to be an incredible summer. 
I am so excited for the future of this church. It's going to be an incredible, incredible summer, and I don't want you to miss it. Amen? I want you to open your eyes so you don't miss it. My family and I have been so incredibly blessed by the outpouring of love and support and prayers that you have for us. And more than anything, it shows the heart of this church. It shows what you're about. You're about relationships. You know that your pastors are human beings, that the people sitting around you are human beings, that we are all broken, imperfect people in need of a Savior, in need of a relationship with God. Amen? If there's pages left in your story, there is still a story to be written. God's not done yet. Amen? Let's stand wherever you are and let's worship God together. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope.elam.org.